Island Church welcomes you to the 2018 Fall Harvest Series. We pray that you are encouraged by all of the different ministers and that the Word of God touches you and blesses you. Praise God. Let's go to John chapter 11. I want to start by giving you a bit of a background. And the background to what I'm going to share with you is in John chapter 11. Let's look at verse, verses. This is the story of Jesus raising up Lazarus. If you remember, John 11 is the place where Jesus raised up Lazarus. And what happened, it says verse 40, 45 and verse 46. It says, then many of the Jews which came to Mary and had seen the things which Jesus did believed on him. In other words, when the people saw what had happened to Lazarus, what Jesus had, had done to Lazarus, they believed in him. But not everybody had that reaction because the next verse says, but some of them went their ways to the Pharisees and told them what things had done, what things Jesus had done. So there were these two groups of people. Most of them, they believed in Jesus, but some of them went to the Pharisees and told the Pharisees what this Jesus was doing. And the Pharisees, as a result, the, the verses subsequent to this said that they decided that Jesus should die, he should be put to death, and that was it. You know, that's what they decided. That's the only way they can stop this problem was to, was to kill Jesus. Now, we come to verse number 12, and this is, now, to give you a little bit of historical background to this, this was just before the Passover. The raising of Lazarus was not long before the Passover. So soon after that came the Passover, and whenever the Jews celebrated the Passover, everybody who could afford it would come from all over the then known world of that time. And they would come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. So people would come. So there were Jews from Greece, from Persia, wherever there were Jews, they just came to Jerusalem. That's why the saying was they would say at Passover next year in Jerusalem. We'll meet again in Jerusalem. That was of the seven feasts of Israel. The biggest feast was the feast of Passover. So they would all come to Jerusalem. So incidentally, this miracle took place at a time when all these Jews were coming into Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover. And many Jews believed in Jesus because of the miracle of the raising of Lazarus. So there was a great deal of excitement. And also Lazarus happened to be there in Jerusalem at that time. It says in verse 9 in John 12, Much people of the Jews therefore knew that he was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might see Lazarus also, whom he had raised from the dead. So people wanted to see Lazarus because Lazarus was now telling everybody what Jesus had done for him. And verse, the verse after that, verse 10 says, but the chief priest consulted that they might put Lazarus also to death. I mean, these people had a simple solution to every problem. Kill them, fry them, you know. So first they wanted to kill Jesus, then they wanted to kill Lazarus because these people were believing in Jesus because of Lazarus. Now, the interesting thing is after that, Jesus 
came, you know, you, you look a few verses later, uh, verse 12, on the next day, much people that were come to the feast, when they heard that Jesus was come to Jerusalem, took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. Now, this is something most people don't know. This thing about palm trees and them shouting Hosanna. You know what that was? The palm tree was actually the symbol of the zealots. The zealots were Jewish nationalists who wanted the Romans out, who were tired of their four centuries of occupation that the Jews had lived under. So there was a, there was a movement in there uh, and these people led insurgencies and we did about two of them. One of them was Simon the Zealot who joined, who, was, who became one of Jesus' disciples. And the other one was Barabbas because Barabbas had killed someone during the last uprising and the people wanted him because he was one of the heroes. So when Pilate said, who do you want, Jesus or Barabbas? And they said, we want Barabbas. We want Barabbas because he was one of their heroes. People think he was a common murderer. No, he wasn't. He was one of the zealots. So the, and this cry, Hosanna. Hosanna was actually the war cry, the battle cry of the zealots. And the palm branch was their thing. And by this time, you know, we also read that before this, when Jesus performed the miracle of the feeding of the 5,000, the, there were people who were convinced that Jesus is the one who's going to deliver us from the Romans. And they tried to make him king by force. And so now Jesus comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey and they begin to wave these palm branches because they think he's now coming to do something about it. And so, and so they were shouting their war cry, Hosanna, Hosanna, and they were waving those palm branches. So the palm branch in the Bible wasn't really a symbol of peace, as many people think it is. It was a symbol of war, you know. So now I want you to understand the situation, this, the historical situation at that time. The Romans had occupied, I mean, before the Romans, there were the Greeks and the, and the Babylonians before that. These people had been under occupation for almost four centuries. They were oppressed and they wanted their own kingdom back. And many were convinced that Jesus is the one because he had the power of God with him and he could perform these miracles. And now this raising of Lazarus had put Jesus in a, in a position where he was more popular than at any other time in his ministry. So there were these two things. He was riding a wave of, of uh, I should say, popular support among the people, but he was also hated by the Pharisees more than ever before. Now, the interesting thing is that Jesus could have analyzed the situation. If he was a modern day American preacher, he would have said, you know, let us postpone this thing with the cross. <laughs> because our ratings are so high. I mean, the offerings will be good. I mean, the, there's people here, you know. I'm popular more than ever before. All these people want me. I can't turn my back on them and just go and die on the cross. I'll do it later. That time will come. But he didn't. He was coming to Jerusalem and he knew why he had come. He didn't let anything distract him from the real reason why he had come to the earth, and that is to die for us upon the cross. Now, so into this situation in verse 20, and this is where I'm going to start preaching. This was just a background, okay? 
And there were certain Greeks among them that came up to worship at the feast. So these people had come from Greece and they had heard about, they were, they were Grecian Jews and they had heard about uh, Jesus. The same came therefore to Philip, who was one of the disciples, which was of Bethsaida of Galilee and desired him saying, desired him saying, sir, we would see Jesus. And Philip and comes, tells, he comes and tells Andrew, another one of the disciples, they said that these Greeks want to see Jesus. So they both go to Jesus and they said, Jesus, there's some Greeks who want to see you. You know, you're very popular. Everybody wants to see you. But these guys have come from far. They've come all the way from Greece. And they want to see you. And verse 23, And Jesus answered them, saying, The hour is come that the Son of Man should be glorified. Verily, verily, I say unto you, except a corn of wheat fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. But if it die, it brings forth much fruit. He that loves his life shall lose it, and he that hates his life in this world shall keep it unto life eternal. If any man serve me, let him follow me, and where I am, there shall also my servant be. If any man serve me, him will my father honor. Now is my soul troubled, and what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour. But for this cause came I unto this hour. Father, glorify thy name. Then there came a, then there came a voice from heaven, saying, I both glorified it and will glorify it again. Let's pause here. So they come to Jesus and say, Jesus, here's some Greeks who want to see you. And Jesus begins by saying, the hour is come that the Son of Man shall be glorifying. And immediately he begins to talk about his death. Not only does he talk about his own death, but he also talks, begins to talk about the death of those who want to follow him. He said, I'm going to die. He said, because... This is what he meant. He said, because, you see, I'm like a grain of wheat. A grain of wheat, unless it dies, it remains what it is. It stays a grain of wheat. But if it dies, it'll bear much fruit. Now, Jesus died, and that's why we are the fruit. If he had not died, we wouldn't be here today. We would have no, had, had no assurance of salvation. But we have it because Jesus became that grain of wheat that died. So a grain of wheat has to die. Only then can it become fruit. If it doesn't, you know, they recently discovered a grain of wheat thousands of years old in a jar. It was full of, you know, wheat in the tomb of one of the pharaohs. Been there in that jar for thousands of years and they took some of the seeds and buried them in the ground, watered them. And you know what happened? They sprouted. A grain of wheat is a powerful thing. It's full of life. It has great potential, but nothing will happen unless it dies. So Jesus is talking about his own death and the reason why he has to die. Because if I don't die, there will be no fruit. And then he tells us, he who loves his life shall lose it. And he who hates his life shall find it. Then he said that, uh, if you want to follow me, you have to go where I'm going. I'm going to the cross. Do you want to go to the cross with me? Now, that's another aspect of Christianity. And I want to share something about it with you. See, I didn't get saved through this Christianity. You come to Jesus and you'll have a life of prosperity and well-being and a good life. I didn't get saved through that. I remember when I got saved and... And the guy, the, I gave my life to Jesus and the guy said to me, 
Do you know the conditions for following Jesus? I said, I didn't know there were conditions. He says, there are. And he, he said, sit down. So I sat down next to him. We were in the YMCA in Lahore in Pakistan. And he pulled out a, a, a red, a, like a burgundy colored leather bound book. And he gave it to me. He said, read it. I said, what is it? He says, the Bible. I said, sorry, sir. Uh, as Muslims, we have respect for the holy books and I cannot touch it with unwashed hands because this is a book from God. He said, no, it's okay, read it. So I opened it. And that was the first time in my life that these eyes had ever seen a Bible. First time, I was 21 years old, never seen a Bible. And I opened the Bible and he put his fingers, he opened it to a page, put his finger on a verse. He says, read this and read it aloud three times. And this is what I read. These are the first words this guy ever read out of a Bible. And it says, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow after me. I read it three times. He said, do you see what it means? I said, well, it means that if I want to follow Jesus, I have to deny myself. He said, are you willing to do that? Do you know what it means? I said, yeah, I, I can figure that out. He says, then it says the other thing you have to do if you want to follow Jesus, you have to take up your cross every day. Do you know what it means? I said, I have no idea. He says, Jesus died upon a cross for you and me. And in the days of Jesus, if you ever saw any man carrying his cross, he was going to the place of his execution. Jesus carried that cross. Now, he said, Jesus carried that cross only once, and this is the only place you'll find where he asks us to do more than what he himself did. That means unless you're willing to lay down your life and be willing to die every single day for Jesus, you're not fit to live for him. He says, that is just what it costs to follow Jesus. Yes. Are you willing to do that? And I thought, I said, sir, this, is, this was December 1975. I said, sir, four years ago, I was a 17-year-old kid. I was in the military. I was in this city. We went to war. And when Muslim soldiers go to war, I said, Muslims are buried not in coffins, but in shrouds. They, put, they bury them dead. Usually, traditionally, they bury them in a white shroud. I said, a soldier who is willing to die normally carries his own burial shroud in his backpack. And as an outward sign that he is willing to die, he tears off a strip about an inch, two inches wide from that shroud, and he wears it around his forehead. And he puts his helmet on top of it. I said, I went to war wearing that thing on my forehead with my shroud. I said, I was willing to die for that. Of course I'm willing to die for this because this is real. Yeah. This is true. Here I have an assurance of heaven when I died. Yeah. That was false. So that was my introduction to Christianity. <laughs> then he, they said to me, you have to memorize two verses of the Bible every day. So the first three months, I memorized Bible verses every day. I knew hundreds of scriptures by reference number. You know why? Because they said, you're going to be arrested and you're going to go to prison because that's what they do in Muslim countries. And sure enough, I was arrested for, and they said, I said, why would they arrest me? He says, because you'll be preaching on the streets. I said, do I have to? They said, yes, because we have to tell these people they don't know anything about Jesus. So I was out on the streets, preaching on the streets, and sure enough, 
I was arrested. I was in prison. Do you understand what I'm saying? It was only later on I found out these other truths that God wants to bless us and he wants to meet our needs and he wants to heal us. Those things are true and they're very, very legitimate. But if that is your introduction to Christianity, then you'll never live for anything more than yourself. And Jesus is good as long as he meets your needs and your desires. And the moment you think that he doesn't do what you want him to do, you say, it was nice seeing you, you know. I'm out of here. Do you understand what I'm saying? That is why many people leave, because they get disappointed. They get disappointed. They, people get disappointed. You know why they, they, they get disappointed? Because preachers give them these expectations. It's going to be easy. It's going to be good. It's going to be all wonderful. And then you realize, you run into these things when there's this price of discipleship. And that's what Jesus was talking about. And, you know, uh, I mean, usually, usually when people would come to Jesus, he'd talk about wonderful things like eternal life and I'm the light of the world and you are the light of the world. And if you follow me, you'll have the light of life. It was always something wonderful. But now, these people just want to see him. Now they're going to say, oh, 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 hold on a minute. Is that what it's going to be like? I don't know if we want, to, we want to get into this thing. But he begins to talk about his death. And he begins to talk about the death of those who will follow him. And then he says, so what should I say? Shall I say, Father, deliver me from this hour? He said, no, it is for this hour I came into this world. You know why this thing was hanging over him? Because he was about to go to the cross and he was realizing what it would cost him to take our sins upon his own self. And the biggest sin was not just the painful, horrible death of the crucifixion and the whipping and the torture he suffered before that. But the most horrible thing was that when he would be upon the cross, and God would take, the Father would take our sins and put it upon him. And the Father would look at his son and see him laden with our sins. How God would turn his face away from Jesus and reject him. And Jesus would be cursed because of us. That was the thing he could not bear. That thought was unbearable. Because the Father and the Son, they are one. And they had such a relationship. You know, remember at the pool of Bethesda when Jesus raised up this crippled man and they began to ask him about this miracle? You know what he said? It gives us an insight into the relationship he had with the Father. He says, you know, if you want to know about this miracle, he says, look, the Father loves the Son and shows him all things. Because I can only do those things that the Father shows me. Incidentally, which is also the key to a good healing ministry. The Father loves us and shows us all things. So Jesus walked in that intimacy with the Father that he had from before the beginning of the time. And he knew that that was what it would cost him to save you and me from our sins. That is why at the Garden of Gethsemane, he said, Father, if it be possible... Let this cup pass me. In other words, Father, 
If it has to be done, it has to be done. But is there any other way we could do this? But then he had a, another instinct that was greater than his instinct of self-preservation, and that was his love for sinners. So he said, Father, nevertheless, if this is the way it has to be done, let your will be, let your will be done. Not mine, but your will be done. That is how much Jesus Christ loved sinners. That is how much he loved us when we were sinners. It says, so great is the love of Christ that when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. How can we ever doubt the love of God? He loved us more than he loved himself. So that was the price that he would have to pay and that was the thing he was dreading. But he was willing to go into that. He was willing to give up that situation of immense popularity that he was enjoying at that time and go to the cross because he had come to this world determining that he would pay that price just so that you and I can call ourselves children of God. Hallelujah. But if you look at this little speech he made, he begins by saying something. He says, the hour is come now that the Son of Man shall be glorified. Then in the, he ends it by saying, Father, glorify this name, your name. Now we are talking about being glorified. When I think of that word about God being glorified or about the glory of God, I usually, the first thought that I think is about uh, you know, people say they have seen a glory cloud in a meeting. Have you heard of that? I have never seen a glory cloud. But I have friends who have seen the glory cloud in meetings. I have seen on a couple of occasions in a dark room, people's face, faces shining like a light bulb with the glory of God. I've seen that. And, you know, normally when someone who's dead is raised up, that is glorious. A lame person walks, that is glorious. These are the things that reveal the glory of God. When a wonderful thing, something positive, something miraculous happens, that is, we attribute that to the glory of God. But here Jesus is calling something else as being glorious. He is talking about when they would take him, arrest him, and strip him of his clothes. And they would take that, the Romans would take that flagrum, which is a, a, a whip with nine belts of, of leather with sharp pieces of metal, and they would whip him, and whip him, and whip him, and his back would be torn apart. And, and the psalmist would say that plowman had plowed my back and made deep furrows. His back would look like a plowed field. Then they would take these two by fours and they'd beat him up. His face would be this figured beyond recognition and they would crown him with thorns and they would spit upon him and there he would stand covered with his own blood totally discovered uh, and um, totally disfigured and beaten up and covered with his blood covered with the spit of sinners and covered with dirt with people blaspheming him he would carry that cross to Calvary where they would nail him to the cross and where he would die a horrible death and that horrible death. He calls that glorious. Now I want to give you five reasons why the cross of Jesus is so glorious. The first reason we find in verse 31, same chapter, it says, now is the judgment of this world. 
The first reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is because upon the cross, God judged the world for all its sins. When Jesus was upon the cross, God took the sins of all mankind right from Adam, the first human being, to the last human being who's going to walk on this earth. God took all of the sins of all mankind, the little sins, the big sins, the hidden sins, the open sins, your sins and my sins, and God took them all and put them upon Jesus, and God punished Jesus, and he cursed Jesus, he rejected Jesus, and Jesus paid the total price for our sins upon the cross. Now, of course, there will be a judgment. There will be a final judgment the Bible talks about when all men will stand before the judgment seat of Christ. But from that day when God judged Jesus for the sins of the world, until that day mankind stands before the judgment seat of Christ, we are not living in a time of judgment, but we are living in an era called the era of the gospel. Because of our day, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Today, the gifts of God freely abound. But there's some people who still want to prophesy doom and evil. Anytime anything bad happens in the world, they say God is judging people. Hurricane Katrina, God was judging New Orleans. You know, God, God is all, listen, let, let me just say something about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. God did not give the nine gifts of the Spirit, especially the gift of prophecy for the church to use it to prophesy judgment over people. God is not in judgment mode. God is in salvation mode. If anything, we should be preaching the gospel because sinners, even the worst of sinners, are getting saved today. Hallelujah. That is the first reason the cross of Jesus is so glorious is because upon the cross, Jesus took upon himself the sins of the whole world. The second reason the cross is so glorious is also in verse 31, it says, Now shall the prince of this world be cast out. Colossians 2.15 says, And having spoiled, spoiled means disarmed, principalities and powers, he made a show of them openly, triumphing them over them in it. That, and it is the cross. That means that upon the cross, Jesus won a total and decisive victory over Satan. The victory of Jesus Christ over Satan is complete and total. Complete and total. Amen. There's no more devils to be defeated. So that song, we are going to the high places to tear the devil's kingdom down. That is unscriptural. Now it's a nice sounding song. It gets people worked up, you know, but it's not scriptural. Because the devil's kingdom has already been torn down. And our mandate as a church is, Jesus said, in my name, you shall cast out devils. Doesn't say you shall talk to devils. Doesn't say you will converse with devils. Doesn't say that you will have a discussion with devils. But you shall cast him out. We are God's, uh, how do you say, the guys who throw people out. Of, uh, I'm a bouncer for Jesus. 
we throw out troublesome devils. Hallelujah. Are you with me? In his name, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, we shall cast out devils. That is one of the mandates that we have received in the church. And now I know people are afraid of talking about devils, you know. And you shouldn't give the devil any room in your life either. That's why it's very important what you watch on TV. Hello. It's very important. I'm not going to be legalistic about anything, but I'm saying anything that can attract the devil, you don't want it in your life. It can be anything. Don't allow anything in your life that will attract the devil because the devil is real. We have power to cast him out, but we can cast him out only if we walk in our authority and we walk in our relationship with Jesus. And so you stay pure and holy and be quick to repent if you mess out and you take, you know, we, we have to pray. We have to take authority over devils every single day. We have to cover our families with the blood of Jesus. We have to take authority over sickness, over disease, over things like that. We have to do that every single day. Amen. Because the Bible says the devil is like a roaring lion seeing those he can devour. He's like a hungry lion. Lions only hunt and kill when they're hungry. And it doesn't say that the devil is a lion. He's not a lion. There's only one lion and we know who that is. But the, the devil is like a hungry lion and a hungry lion is always looking for who he can eat. So the devil is like a hungry lion. He's seeking those who he can devour. So you don't want to be a lion's lunch. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, but you have to remember that Jesus has taken authority over the devil. He has won, no, he has given us authority, but he has won a total and decisive victory over Satan. Amen. And we have the right to order the devil around. And he doesn't have the right to tell you anything that is contrary to what God says about you. I mean, he can say those things, but you shouldn't be listening to the devil. You know, I, people come to me, I hear voices. Well, I also hear voices, I said. I hear the voice of God. No, but these are different voices, voice of the devil. So I said, what do you do? I said, that's why I want prayer. I said, you don't need prayer if you hear voices from the devil. You just tell it to shut up in the name of Jesus. Yeah. That's what you do. You stand up, take your ground and say, shut up, devil, get out in Jesus' name. And instead, you, you open your ears, you open your eyes to the word of God and begin to read the word of God and let the word of God be the voice that speaks to you instead. You don't need laying on of hands. I could give you a Pentecostal massage all day, lose your hair, you could grow bald, nothing would happen. Do you understand what I'm saying? Where the devil lying to you? Just tell him to shut up and open a Bible and begin to read the Bible. So you're replacing that voice with this voice. Amen. But remember this one thing, that the reason the cross is so glorious because Jesus not only took away all our sins and it is our sins that gives the devil the right and a foothold on our lives and Jesus has taken our sins. And the second thing is that Jesus has won a total and decisive victory over the devil. Now, the third reason the cross is so glorious is in Colossians 2, 14 and 15. It says, blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to the cross. What does that mean? It means that Jesus 
In his life, he fulfilled the law of Moses, but in his death upon the cross, he took the law of Moses and nailed it to the cross. So in other words, we don't have to keep the law of Moses in order to be accepted by God. And we don't have to keep the law of Moses in order to be sanctified. Our salvation comes through the blood of Jesus alone and our sanctification comes through a work of the combined work of God's word and God's Holy Spirit. As we yield to his word, as we yield to his Holy Spirit, God does his work in us and that is what sanctifies us and makes us more like Jesus and causes us to be conformed to the image of Christ. Amen? You don't have to do any of those Jewish things. Now, all these Jewish things people do are actually a part of the law. Blowing shofars, it's a part of the law. Now, listen, let me just say this. You don't have to do any Jewish things in the church to enhance your Christian experience. Do you understand what I'm saying? You don't have to blow a shofar to make God hear your prayer or to bring the anointing down. You don't have to go to the wailing wall and pray there as if that prayer will be heard more than you pray here. You don't need oil brought from the river Jordan. Or what, you know, you don't have to go to Israel to get rebaptized in the river Jordan. You know, I try to sometimes understand why people do these things. It does not. I've been to Israel. I did not get rebaptized in the River Jordan. Why? I, firstly, I've already baptized. And secondly, that river was filthy and I didn't want to get in there. <laughs> and God is still blessing me. God is using me. It wouldn't have been that come out. If I'd gone into that water, my spiritual experience would be up a notch, you know. It wouldn't. Anytime you mess around with the law, the Bible says you are beholden to the whole law. And if you are beholden to the whole law, you break one of those laws and the curse of the law will come upon you. And Deuteronomy 28 says that the curse of the law is threefold, is poverty, disease, and death. That is why Paul says in Galatians, he says, you know what? He says, if you begin to trust in the law, you are fallen from grace. We normally think fallen from grace means if a famous TV preacher sins, so the papers, newspapers say he's fallen from grace. No, fallen from grace is when you trust, begin to keep elements of the law, and you find your sanctification or your blessing in keeping certain feasts and certain laws. You know, listen. Jesus has kept it for us. He has fulfilled it for us. Just stay close to the cross. Stay to Jesus, with Jesus. You don't have to do any of the Jewish things. Because Paul said in Romans, through the works of the law, shall no man be justified in his sight. Amen. Amen. Praise God. Amen. There's a few weak hand claps, but it's true. The fourth reason why the cross of Jesus is so glorious is in Isaiah 53 verses 4 and 5. Surely he bore our diseases and he carried our pains. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him and by his stripes we were healed. The fourth reason the cross was so glorious is because Jesus Christ, when he died upon the cross, he bore all 
of mankind, yours and mine, physical sicknesses and diseases and infirmities, he bore them upon the cross. And the Bible says that by the stripes that were laid upon his back, we have been healed. And this is something that all of us sitting here have to take a hold of because we live in a fallen world and there's diseases and sicknesses all around us. And sometimes people fear things. There are hereditary diseases. Your mother had it, your grandmother had it, all your siblings have it. And people live in fear. They won't say it aloud, but they live in fear of these things. But you have to, that's why it is so important for us to stand up and speak the word and confess the word every day that I'm redeemed from every kind of curse and no disease and sickness can ever touch me because my Lord Jesus, when he was upon that cross, every sickness, disease and sickness was put upon him and by his stripes I am healed. Amen. Jesus has already taken care of it. Hallelujah. He has borne all our diseases, all our sicknesses and that is how you fight the fight of faith by speaking that word over your life, over your children, over your parents, over your spouses. You got to speak the word of God. By his stripes we were healed. And what gives us the right to say that? It is because Jesus Christ has already borne those diseases and sicknesses that Satan has, you know, Satan is sitting there planning what I'm going to put on, on, uh, on my brother here. But Jesus says, no, he can't put anything on him because I've already taken it. It's already upon the cross. So listen, I'm going to tell you something. It's not just believing God for a healing that believing God to be healed from a sickness that's already in your body, but it's also believing God that nothing that the devil wants to put upon you shall come upon you because it is already upon the cross. So don't wait to get sick to start believing God. Believe God. Look at the cross. That's where it's gone. And that's why you also have to shift your faith. Now God uses people. I'm not trying to discount that, but you have got to shift your faith away from the anointing on some preacher's life and put your faith upon the cross. Yeah. Amen. 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 That's the fourth reason the cross is so glorious. Jesus bore all our diseases, carried all our pains, and by his stripes we are healed. And the fifth reason, are you getting anything out of this? Yeah. The fifth reason why the cross is so glorious is in verse 32, and if I, if I be lifted up from the earth, will draw all men, all men unto me, this he did, signifying what death he should die. He's talking about being lifted up, and that doesn't mean we lift him up in prayer, lift him up in worship, but when Jesus was nailed to the cross, and he was lifted up upon that cross, when he hung from that cross, God opened the doors of salvation for all mankind. Because until that time, only Jews could be saved. Someone came to Jesus to be healed. He said, I'm only sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He said to the woman at the well in Samaria, salvation is of the Jews. Right? But he said, the day will come when I will be nailed to a cross and the cross will be lifted up. And when I hang upon that cross, I'm going to draw all men unto me. They can be Jews. They can be Chinese. They can be 
no matter what your nationality, it can be Arabs and Japanese, everybody has a place at the table. And he says, we who were far, we have been brought near through the blood of Jesus. Yeah. But you know what? Yeah. It has taken the church a long time to figure that out. Yeah. Do you know that for the first 10 years of the church, they believed that only Jews could be saved? Yeah. It's only when Peter went to the house of Cornelius and the Holy Ghost fell and Peter baptized them. They immediately called him and they said, how could you do that? And he said, well, how could I deny them? The Holy Ghost fell on like it came upon us on the day of Pentecost, so I baptized them. So, you know, it took the church, it took the church centuries to figure out that black people could be saved. Huh? Because people for centuries believed that people of African descent are cursed because God cursed Ham. Can you imagine? It took centuries. Almost like 2,000 years. That's how dumb and thick-headed religious people are. That's why we have to read from the Bible what the Bible says, what this book says. Instead of traditional, but sometimes we read the Bible, but through minds that are clogged by religious beliefs. And when our minds are clogged by religious beliefs, you can't see what Jesus is saying, that I will draw all men unto me, and all men includes those Arabs, includes those, those uh, Africans, it includes everybody. Yes, but our minds are so clogged with religious belief. And even today, in other areas, our minds are clogged with religious beliefs. That stand contrary to the word of God. And that's why spiritual warfare is not fighting the devil. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 5, it says, casting down. which says, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they are mighty through the casting down of strongholds. And the strongholds are, it says, casting down every thought and every imagination that stands contrary to the word of God. Everything, every belief system in your mind that opposes the word of God, that is the stronghold, not the devil. The devil has already been dealt with. That is our enemy. Do you understand what I'm saying? So the first reason the cross is glorious is because upon the cross, Jesus took care of the sins of all mankind. The second reason the cross is so glorious is because upon the cross, Jesus won a total victory over the devil. Thirdly, the cross is so glorious is because Jesus, he nailed the law of Moses to the cross. The fourth reason the cross is so glorious is because upon the cross, Jesus bore all of our physical diseases and infirmities, and by his stripes, we, not shall be, we have been healed. Notice the past tense. We have been healed, we were healed. So you who are sitting here, if you've got a sickness in your body, I have good news for you. You are already healed. And the Bible says, let the weak say, I feel terrible. No, I'm sorry. Let the weak say, I am. Let the poor say, I am. Let the sick say, I am. That's the language of faith. Amen. As a man thinketh in his heart, so is he. So you've got to start thinking that way. Amen. Hallelujah. Now, let me finish with this. Uh, in... Galatians 6, 14, this is what Paul said. But God forbid that I should glory save in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world is crucified unto me and I unto the world. You know, if you read Paul's account in 
Philippians, he, he talks about his pedigree. Born into this tribe, born into this house. Pharisee of Pharisees. He was proud of his religious background. His pedigree, what family he came from. His theological education. He was a friend. Not only that, but he says, he says, and according to the law, I was perfect. He was singing another tune later on when he said that I'm the worst of all sinners. But at that time, because religion makes you self-righteous. He said, he says, but you know what? He says, but all these things I count as dung. You know what the word dung actually means? Do you want to know? I know this text says you people are very prudish. But the Bible actually uses some language which is, not, which is considered quite crude by today's words. Dung actually is poop. But even poop is a nice word. It's a word that begins with S. So that's... No, 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 no. I'm just telling you the truth. That's the Greek word that is used. He says, all these things that I was proud of, my pedigree, my self-righteousness, my religion, all these things I count as something that is good only to be flushed down the toilet. <laughs> you know, that's not something you're proud of. You only go to the bathroom, you do your thing, you don't say, oh, I've got to take a picture of this. <laughs> I've got to show everyone in church, man. You don't do that. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand what I'm saying? So that, that's how he looked at everything. He says, all that I was, you know, as a religious Pharisee, and, you know, I wore that big hat, and, that, you know, I just walked around so full of myself, uh, my theological degrees, and my pedigree, and my family. He says, all those things are worth nothing, but only worth flushing down, to the, down the toilet, that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is by the law, but the righteousness that is by faith, by the faith of him. And he says, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing in his sufferings that I may become like him. Hallelujah. That was his quest. And so now he's come to the place in Galatians where he says that God forbid that I glory in anything else except in the cross of Jesus. By whom I'm dead to the world. And the world is dead to me. Yeah. Hallelujah. That was his journey of faith. Yeah. From where he was, who he was, what he had done to the place where he says, you know, because of the cross, I am dead to the world. That means there's nothing in me that the world can take a hold of. And the world is dead to me. There's nothing in the world that I want. I am in Christ. Christ is everything for me. Hallelujah. And that is, that is where I walk. That is where I live. At the cross, yes. he paid a total price for me and bore my sins and bore my diseases. He took care of everything. And that is why he says, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Hallelujah. What a wonderful life we have received. That our lives are hidden in Christ and we belong to Jesus. And that is our source of life and power. Hallelujah. 
Glory to Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Jesus. Let's bow our heads together. Father, we bless you. We honor you. We glorify your name. I thank you for everything that you have done for us. We thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus, that you took away everything that was ours and nailed it to the cross in Christ. And you have given us a wonderful life. The life of God himself. Thank you, Jesus, that you said that as the Father has life, so the Son has life in himself. And I have come that you may have that life and have it more abundantly. I thank you, Jesus, that you came to give us the life of the Father and to make us like you and to sit with you and make us heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. We thank you. Thank you, Father. Thank you for listening to our Fall Harvest series. If you would like to find out more about Island Church located in Galveston, Texas, please make sure you visit our website at islandchurchgalveston.com.